Welcome to Dr. Eric's Relentless Vitality Podcast. Our focus is on optimizing physical and mental vitality, maximizing performance, and extending lifespan. Dr. Eric is a licensed physician with a wealth of expertise in age management and preventive medicine, whose goal is enabling his patients to stay young, feel their best, and enjoy a higher quality of life. We were starting to record. I've got um, some... Yeah, I can edit. I can edit out all the the, the cussing later. <laughs> no, I'm getting some feedback. All right. Yeah, let me testing one, two, three. It's better now. Okay. okay awesome. Cool. Awesome. Are my centered? Yep. You look good. You look good. Still, still got cool. the mohawk going. I love it. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> I'm gonna sit over here out of it. So no, you can. You can. You can all right. Hold can on. you? Uh, do you ever color it or, or dye it? Yeah, I was about to. I'm going to later on the day. I've done it. I don't know how many different color combinations. It's kind of, a, it's kind of an orange and purple right now, but you got faded. a little bit of the hybrid going on. It looks good. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, with uh, with uh, Halloween coming up, you got to do something really cool and freaky. You know, I never get any kids. I no? live at the end of a kind of. It's not really a cul-de-sac per se, but it's sort of a dead end street. Mm-hmm. There's a water treatment plant. I live right on uh, the river, Hillsborough River in Tampa. So okay. it's very very private, but no one ever comes down. Even if I have lights on, never a kid. I've been here five or six years. I uh wow. I grew up on Sanibel Island. Oh, okay. Yeah, I used to go to and watch the Buccaneers lose all the time. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Never got into the Dolphins, man, but always loved the Bucks. Where do you got? Where are you guys located? We're in Ohio, actually. Yeah, I uh, I, uh, I live about an hour east of Columbus, so my office is in Columbus, Ohio. I got you. So a commute yeah. every day. Yeah, a little bit of a commute, unfortunately. I used to work even further out. That's why I moved out that way, and then I started working in Columbus. I just never moved back. The kids were in school, and then it just, you know, kind of made a habit of doing the drive. So, mm. yeah, yeah, it's nice there. I think London, Ohio, is the other direction from Columbus. Yep. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Not oh, that yeah. far. Okay. Yeah, I've never been there. I keep wanting to, to, to check it out, but uh, and then I, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of cool people here in Columbus. Uh, I, I kind of forgot about John Meadows is right here too. I'm gonna have to mm. figure out a way to, to meet him sometime too. I, I forgot all about that until a couple months ago. Yeah, I've John and I have done a couple years of seminars there at the Arnold Classic. Yeah, and I think I've been I've been there five times now, maybe yeah, to leave yeah. FTS and just come up, come up and be with John and and then for the Arnold Classic two or three times. Yeah, that's always that's always a fun show. It's it's so crazy nowadays, but it's still fun to go to. Oh, it's it's almost asinine. It's the madhouse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, totally but, avoided going to it this year and just went to dinner with friends who were in town because it's so crowded, man. It's like you walk mm-hmm. around and every dude in there is out in the parking lot drinking his protein and getting pumped <laughs> up before they go in. Smells like yeah. somebody's dropping bombs in there 24-7. Yeah, you know, it, it can be even worse. It depends on, there's a, a an expo called Body Power in the UK that is actually a, even a bit more obnoxious sometimes. They'll have really? guys, yeah, they'll have guys that, um, which is unusual because I love the Brits. I love Europeans. They're, they're kind of a very different consumer. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm actually more well-known over there because of a couple of clients that had in the past who were pretty well known. Really? But they'll but they'll be there'll be some guys that look just like shirts off all the time, regardless of the temperature. <laughs> um, there was one year they had the music so loud that it was literally it was literally deafening in that I th- I think I may have lost a little bit of my hearing sensitivity <laughs> afterwards. And I can't yeah. imagine if my booth had been it was in, 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 un, impossible to talk. Absolutely. Yeah, that would suck. Yeah, yeah, that's no fun. That's no fun. Yeah, not at all. I like that's that shirt, by the way. It looks good, man. Say what? I like that shirt. Oh, yeah. I try to advertise. This is about the extent of my advertising. <laughs> yeah. I was looking at it going off. I'm coming out with some more, actually. going to have um, I have these. I've just made them in many years past. We're, I've got a deal that hopefully will have um, some apparel coming out. So I'll let you guys yeah, know. Cool. How long have you had forward to your training up now? It's been a number of years now, right? I think it's about five years now. Five years? Four or five years. Yeah. I've got another. Are we recording now? Or are we just kind of? No, we're recording now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you can say whatever the, you can say whatever the hell you want. This is awesome. I agree. <laughs> you can say whatever the hell you want. It's all good. Yeah. Um, I've got another version coming out. I'm working on the manuscript. Um, so right now, for the Fortitude training, it's just an ebook. But I'm coming. I've got a couple more versions of the training system that I'm I'm sort of finalizing and refining. 
I've got some clients dealing with um, the different set types that I've come up with. So in Fortitude Training, there's there are pump sets, there are muscle rounds, and there are loading sets. Right. And that's part of the, the daily undulating periodization. Yep. Try to attack hypertrophy from kind of different angles in terms of metabolic stress and loading. <laughs> and then I've got a couple other ones that are diabolical. And I, I, I hate to mention these because now I've just set myself up for like 25 inquiries. Like, yeah. tell me what it is. Dude, give but, me the arm program. Hook me up. Now, how much? I, gosh, I think when I first came out with Fortitude Training, there was one person every three weeks for about a year. Yep. I made mention of it at some point in time. I was getting an inquiry. Like, no, no, that's not going to be a secret. Like, it's not like I'm not going to advertise <laughs> the hell out of it as best I can. I'm not going to hide it from you. Exactly. So, but it, yeah, it'll be it'll be out, and it won't. I'm not going to do another ebook. The ebook thing is just. Um, it's really unfortunate. Um, Everyone just just pirates the pirates ebooks. Yeah, they yeah, just steal true. them. Yeah, yeah. What would you say like versus what sets your style apart? Like what what do you pride yourself on? Like if somebody came to you and said, you know what, I want to I want to compete and build muscle. Why you? The thing that uh, the kind of the the thing that I've always tried to sort of do is be a bit of a guy. I'm an in the trenches guy. I've been training since I was 11. Right. So yep. I've, I've been at this for a long while. And, but I also value the information, the quality, the insights that can come from the scientific literature. So however you want to talk about it, like if you want to, if you want to talk about what I've experienced, what my clients have experienced, we can just do, do sort of bro talk and say, this is what I've seen for the last 20 years working with people. But I also like to take that scientific information and bring that in as well. And it's, the interesting thing that I'm, I'm really kind of surprised, most people sort of find themselves in one camp. Some people move back and forth. There definitely are other people who do sort of what I do. <clears throat> but the thing that I've found that's really almost, there's almost not an exception to this. If you dig and dig and dig, and eventually the information will come out because there's a lot of good researchers doing hands-on, practical, applied, bodybuilding, muscle growth-related research now, is that mm-hmm. if some phenomenon that, you see in the gym that, that it, it seems like there's no science to explain in many people's eyes. There probably is something there. Yeah, we just haven't figured it out. We, we just haven't figured it out or we, or you haven't dug deep enough into the literature. That's the interesting thing. Um, because there's so much information out there. If you just dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and um, there's, there's publications that are just lost um, for many people. And there's, there are things of course that, are just now making their way on the internet. I mean, when I first started doing this, we had to go back into the you know the actual shelves and pull down the the books. Right. You had to dig it out. Uh, the yeah. microfiche and microfilm yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Remember that? Real. I remember doing that. Yeah. 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 And it was a lot harder, but you can find confirmation for those things if you really, really look. So people tend to, and this is just I think it's a maybe a facet of human nature and psychologies. Um, People tend to tend to sort of think, okay, there's what the the guys in the trenches in the gym do, and there's the what the people in, in the ivory tower do in their research labs, and those universes are like there are two different universes in the multiverse that that definitely that don't necessarily have to have corresponding phenomena that match and follow the same rules of physics and physiology and what have you. It's like no, if you see something in the gym, there is a physiological underpinning for that that right. may or may not have been unveiled in some way in a scientific research paper or a study. Right. But it's, it's not like the people that are in the lab are of a different species or from a different universe than the people who are in the gym. There's, those things can be explained one way or another, and the, the deficiencies in the studies um, often tell you why you're seeing one thing in the gym versus the lab and vice versa. And it's just a matter of like trying to immerse yourself into both and then – allowing yourself to kind of bring the information together. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, I guess I, that's a long answer to your question, but that's really what I, what I try to do is, is bring it all together and, and um, synthesize as much as I can. I think that's cool. And I, from listening to you and uh, you know, some of the other guys out there like Brad Schoenfeld and some of the other guys is like, that's what I love is that you bring the, you have the research background and you dig into the studies, but you also have the, the field experience too. I mean, uh, you know, I experienced that before I got into hormones and peptides and anti-aging. I would, back in the day, I was an ER doctor, and I saw that all the time where 
you mm. like mentioned the ivory tower, the academician saying, well, you got to do this and this, and I'm I'm seeing the patients every day. I'm saving people's lives. I'm like, uh-uh, that doesn't yeah. work. And here's why. I've seen it, you know, but how do you figure right. You know, we just didn't know how the hell it worked, but it worked. <laughs> so. Yeah, there has to be a certain kind of humbleness, I guess you'd say, humility, in that there, 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 you're, there are things you just aren't going to understand. You just sort of have to get into that. And I just was interacting with someone, and um, like literally, someone just sent me a question, an old friend, and um, his doctor basically didn't have an explanation for what they were seeing. And so my friend, who's a smart guy, said, well, if, if you think I'm still doing this, then why is this the case? Because one of his blood levels had gone down, and I'm not going to reveal any more of that, but the doc, it was like, obviously, the, 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 what, the, what he was being accused of by his doctor was not the case, but the doctor did not have another explanation for the, another <clears throat> pathology he was seeing. So he just laid the blame on the patient <laughs> in, in the face of this obvious, like, it's like, how can these two things, like, there has to be some other explanation. Right. You have to basically recognize that there's something I don't know. Right. You know, and that's actually the, that's the beauty of it. That's the mystery of it is like, I don't know why this might work. Like the guy who does, who came up with um, uh, blood flow restriction. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. He literally, if you read some of his, his early works, he, he basically just sort of um, intuited this to a certain degree. Right. And said, you know, I, I wonder if this would work, you know, like I can try to kind of connect these things. Like when you do really hard, intense exercise, it really hurts in some way, shape or form. And we can actually accentuate that by occluding blood flow of the muscle and maybe doing that and recreating what you actually feel when you do do muscle, muscle hypertrophy stimulating exercise would amplify in some way, shape or form the, uh, the stimulus with you don't without the blood flow and lo and behold, here we are. Yeah. And he's yeah. just like totally outside the box. Yep. And you, yep. you know, you know, if he was in the gym, like if people didn't know about this, like take someone from just 10 years ago and people, you know, now it's very common. You see people strapped up all the time. You know what they're yeah. doing. But it's like, what? Look at the, that's the kind of guy that you take pictures of and you post. Oh, look at this idiot doing it's just yeah. this guy's a buffoon. He's what the world. Right. He's off yep. his rocker. How's this guy doing? Yeah. Yeah. But they've been doing well, that in Japan for decades now. Well, when you talk about that stuff, it's almost like you said you've been training since you're 11. It's like. How much of that research do you read and then you use past experiences and come up with your own little tweak on it? You know what I mean? Because that's kind of what mm -hmm. I do. I, I go off personal experiences and think, okay, well, maybe I'll try this or get a little outside the box. Yeah, you know, this kind of came up in another conversation I had not too long ago. And one of the things that um, I realized when I was in, when I was in grad school, I, I was teaching anatomy and physiology. So I had to know the anatomy really pretty well. Right. Um, and we actually, I actually dissected a baboon as part of the um, preparation. For, so we have a baboon to, to look at and examine as part of the labs. And I got to know the anatomy really well and got sort of a very academic, I could tell you the action, insertion, nerve, blood, supply, et cetera, et cetera. But I also developed sort of an intuitive feel because literally there were, days, there were days where we would go and I'd wake up in the morning and we do some work on the baboon and then I go to the gym afterwards smelling <laughs> off like formaldehyde, just hoping I could escape there without getting kicked out. But I'm thinking about all those things that literally I was just working on and processing. Right. And, you know, maybe this is something that would have come to me otherwise, but I have the sense because if people look at my Instagram account, one of the main themes there is coming up with kind of new and novel exercises, ways to hit a muscle and some of this is out of uh, out of sheer necessity because I've got so many aches and pains mm -hmm. <clears throat> from having trained for so long but I can just look at a machine and say okay there's the pivot point you know we have hinge joints in the body that move in this direction I could just make sense you could do that with this yeah and yeah. and and that but that came along with the with the academic insights of like knowing where the muscles connect um, you know knowing their like you know for things like um, like one that that I, seems pretty obvious to me, but the wrist flexors also cross the elbow. Right. So one thing you can do is like they're so they assist in, in elbow flexion. Mm -hmm. So if you open your hand, I don't know if you guys can see my arm. I'm not sure how much I'm in. If you open open your hand while doing a biceps curl, which you can do on many machines, 
you're not going to drop the weight because it's, it's just a handle pressing Every into your handle. palm. Right. You will neurologically disengage the, the wrist flexors, Correct. and that puts more of the load on the elbow flexors. Yep. So, like, that, that's something that, you know, I can sort of explain there in anatomical terms, and I'm not sure when that first occurred to me as many, many years ago, but it's like this works really, really well. You can do the same thing. We just, it was just in, um, in Colorado and Denver at Armbrist Pro Gym. We, we had some in-the-gym practical things, and we kind of got just, just sort, of, sort of intuited our way through the gym. People were asking questions, and hamstrings came up, and you've got a biarticulate muscle in the gastrocnemius. So it's a, it's a knee flexor as well as a plantar flexor at the, at, at the ankle. Right. So you can plantar flex at the ankle, point your toes, while you're doing like a seated hamstring curl, for instance, and you basically create a biomechanical disadvantage, link tension issue in the gastrocnemius, so it really can't contribute to knee flexion. So do knee curls with your toes pointed, takes your gastroc out, and you feel it in your hamstrings more so. Continue right. that set yep. until you start to fail, and then you can actually do sort of um, leverage force reps, essentially by dorsiflexing. Yeah, yeah, dorsiflex, let the gastroc get involved, and now your gastroc is basically allowing you to do force reps for your hamstrings. Yep. And those that. are brutal. One, those yeah. are crazy. And that's, that's the sort of thing, like, that's just, just anatomy, just knowing you know, what, the, what the muscles do, what joints they cross, that comes to you when you're really trying to dig in and figure those things out. So it goes the other way, too. Sometimes I see something in the gym, and then I'll go dig in the literature. I'm like, ah, okay, that makes sense. You know, as to why that's why that's happening too, and that's almost always there's something. If I don't find it initially, I'll find it eventually. Like there, eventually. there aren't many things that don't eventually come up over the course of many many years. So what, what, it's a great question. What have you found out? Of, I, I guess this segues into. I know a lot of people ask me about this, and you probably get this all the time in terms of finding that fine balance between maximizing you know muscular hypertrophy without you know frying your CNS, balancing a recovery, etc. You know, some people can train four or five days a week. Other people need Two three days off in between to recover. Obviously, it depends on the, the routine you're doing, but um, and there's genetic variations and things of this nature. But um, you know, that's obviously it just takes trial and error. I think a lot of the time. But what's how, how have you approached that, or what's your take on that? Oh well, first first there's so, there's so much that's multiple a, questions there. Yeah, <laughs> there's so much of that question. Um, so you, you're right. You can sort of think of it as you know two things kind of on a teeter totter. You've got the stif- the stimulus and the stress of training and everything else going on in your life and how that pivot point um, between the stress of training and your lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera, is balanced with all the things you can do to contribute to recovery is pivoted on your genetics, basically, to some degree. So it's, you're, you're sort of in the center. <clears throat> you can give some people tons of stress and have awful, almost nothing going to try to uh, – uh, maximize their recovery, and they've got just great genetics, and they could just barrel on through. Um, so that's there's some physiology to the side of it, and I guess another even another dimension. I haven't thought of this way. I'm just sort of kind of creating a uh, a mental model here right now as I speak. But there's also the psyche of it all, and you can I mean some people like people like Navy SEALs, special forces guys, um, a lot of military people. Some people just have it built into their mind that that basically, basically their minds are stronger than their body. And they will, they will undo progress in terms of muscle hypertrophy because they can just push so hard. They can easily, you know, overtrain or at least overstimulate or not optimally stimulate very, very easily. And I could do that. I, someone said, Scott, you got to go and train five hours a day every single day to get as big as possible. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. I literally would probably try to do it. If I believe that, obviously I know it's not the case. Right. Um, so, and that's the thing is that <clears throat> muscle hypertrophy. So this, this is another piece of this too. Muscle growth in and of itself. There are even some researchers now are proposing that it's just sort of a side effect. It doesn't really even contribute so much to, um, what the, what the, the stimulus is evoking in terms of an adaptive response and that it just kind of comes along for the ride. Um, like some of the people who have done blood flow restriction right. um, have kind of suggested this in the literature. So, um, so you're trying to really create, um, I call it a muscular callus 
in, in essence. I like that analogy. Trying, trying to like, yeah, hack hack your 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 biology into making muscle larger. And some people just have the genetic makeup for that to happen. Um, there, there are a number of things that contribute to that number of satellite cells. They have the density of the satellite cells, the growth factors, and other things that stimulate the satellite cells into proliferating and differentiating and then becoming new nuclei in the muscle cell. There's, oh, God, there's a ton of there's microRNAs um, mm-hmm. that are involved there. And there's also a number of things that are involved with muscle soreness and damage, too. They're starting to find that some single nucleotide polymorphisms contribute to the extent to which people have muscle soreness. Mm. Um, so, and that those are everything from IGF to some inflammatory markers, some inter- interleukin six, I believe. The one of the gene variations there contributes, um, and some structural proteins too. So, literally, how well the muscle can sort of turn on anabolism to repair itself the extent to which an inflammatory response is evoked, the extent to which the mechanical strain of the, of the tension produced during the exercise creates the mechanical damage which sets in motion the entire inflammatory and, and hopefully restorative response, the remodeling response. How so, much would, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, feel free. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm piecing you know, all this like, together. I'm but, thinking like what you were talking about, and this probably goes to you and Dr. Eric, it's how much can you try, can you actually manipulate that with supplementation, diet protocol, uh, peptides even, and, and different things among that? Well, that's actually a good question. That kind of pushing me in one direction as I'm trying to explain the, the big picture here. Right. So you've got someone who's got their genetic and sort of physiological makeup such that they're prone to put on um, muscle mass to a certain degree, and they've just got a natural um, physiological um, capability to recover and then they've got the mindset you know where they may just drive themselves way past what's really truly recoverable right and that could be an issue i'm thinking now for bodybuilders the average person isn't isn't as much of a knucklehead as as some of us here are (laughs) and they don't want to do that it's really kind of i call it an unnatural act you're picking up and lowering something repeatedly um so but overall what we're talking about there is is a hormetic stress to some degree. So there's an inverse U to the amount of stress and the adaptation that you get. If you don't, if you go in and you just, you know, do seven reps with the 10 rep max, one set for each muscle group twice a week, that's probably suboptimal for most people. You're leaving mm-hmm. three reps in reserve. You're only doing one set. You're not really getting much to evoke muscle growth. Right. So that would be at one end. And then somewhere in between there, you'd have an optimal training versus recovery balance for muscle growth and then beyond that you'd have too much so one of the things for instance we know generally speaking is that non-steroidal anti-inflammatories will impair that inflammatory response and they can impair many of the mechanisms of muscle growth they can slow muscle growth they'll they'll hinder the satellite cell response they'll decrease protein synthesis um, antioxidants do the same thing. So if you like megadose, like vitamin C, vitamin E. Yep. Um, we just had a, we were just a, a video we shot. I was, he he bursted my bubble because my favorite post-workout drink was a ton of berries and a scoop of protein. I loved it. And he's like, and I was like pissed when I came. I'm like, man, this is not good for me at first. <laughs> well, here here's the thing. Like, like the studies with vitamin C and vitamin E, it's been like a, a thousand milligrams of vitamin C and like 400 IUs of vitamin E has been one of those kind of standard dose. Good, you've, yeah. you've only got like like 56 or 60 milligrams of vitamin C in an orange. Mm-hmm. Right. So so it's, in terms of like vitamin C or vitamin E in foods, you're not going to get that much. Right. Okay. Um, compared to what the mega dosing have been done, so there's probably unless you know unless something like you. You have some tumor in your hypothalamus that just drives you to eat oranges after oranges, gallons of orange juice. Well, I grew up in Florida, man. I ate oranges like 12 times a day. I picked them off the That's, tree. But still, you'd have to eat 20 oranges to get 1,000 milligrams just okay. one pill, right? It's something like that. So, yeah, but I mean, so so like like we go into this all the time, and I'll, I'll get both of your takes. If, if you had to like, you know, I like to try to dummy things down to people. When somebody goes in and just smashes the workout, are you are you a fan of eating right away or waiting that forty five minutes to an hour and kind of letting your body come down a little bit? 
I am actually. I was just putting together. I'm doing a talk this weekend for a charity event. If anyone's in Tampa, come to Women's Day Tampa. It's at MI40 Ben Pukulski's gym. Yeah, yeah. On some, women can. There's. There have another location on Saturday. You can message me on Instagram. It's women only. Okay. Um, and then Saturday they open up the gym and and I'm going to do a talk on peri workout recovery supplementation. Right. And I am I am in favor. Let me let me. Before we go to that, because that's a whole other topic that we can. <laughs> I've done several podcasts on that. I've got a really big article on Elite FTS I've done on that topic. But yeah. as far as the the um, the antioxidants and anti-inflammatories and kind of what your your question previous to that was is that many of the antioxidant effects of fruits and vegetables and foods themselves aren't necessarily because they contain like a blunt anti like vitamin E or vitamin C per se. They contain things like polyphenols mm-hmm. that that Boy. work through the what's called the NRF two pathway and they basically um, work genetically at the antioxidant response element and they basically launch the cellular's own antioxidant defense system into play. So you take in a healthy fruits or vegetables you're basically sending the signal to your body, hey, turn on the defense systems for the purpose of clearing away toxins, free radicals, things of that nature. So there's some regulation going on at the cellular level when you eat fruits and vegetables. If you eat, a, like, let's say you take three grams of vitamin C, because that would suppress cortisol. Some people do that for that reason. Um, that's, like, that's like just a hammer to the free radical stress that was brought on by exercise. He's just mm. smashing it because that's like 60 oranges. Right. It's, 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 it's a, a mega dose. That's why they call it. It's super physiological. You would never really get that from fruits and vegetables. So there's a categorical difference there. So that's, that's mm. like the devil's in the details. Yep. Having, well, having one orange or some berries that, yeah, yeah, I think that's that, all. Like, you go ahead and have your shake. You don't want to drink like you know three gallons of it, but you know. Just, well, I just I, 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 I love I love berries. You know, berries I, I I I berries so are I'll, great. I'll just, I'll just eat berries. them at night when I'm eating my dinner and my my steak. Oh, not not a problem. Like, it's funny. I mean, if you look at like the life expectancy data that um, comparing people who supplement with multivitamin, multiminerals, and sorts of things, it's not really improved. It's people that eat lots of fruits and vegetables that tend to have yeah, live longer and be healthier. Like, and that's yeah. what. You know, it's it's like you can go and I mean, we could talk all day amino acids. We we could just live on this stuff because it's what we do. But like Eric, you know, like one like you can tell him like a lot of his patients, you'll recommend you know just a good whey protein after your workout. You know what I mean? Right, like right. because people spend so much money on supplements and like half of them it's, they're worthless in my opinion. If yeah, not, Whole Foods is always the answer in my opinion. Yeah. So here's the, here's here's kind of the paradox in in, in my mind is that. Lifting weights, I mean, very, very, only a small percentage of the, the populace actually exercises like to the ACSM standards. Most of us, it's kind of an abnormal thing. Like you can, you can take rats and put rats in a lab setting and, and get them addicted to wheel running. It's very right. kind of scary. It's an <laughs> odd thing to want to do that. It's, it's natural to us to want to stay healthy that fine-tunes our free radical defense systems, for instance. Mm-hmm. But normally, you know, given if we you sort of trust in the idea that we're hunter-gatherers were sort of our genetic lineage, moving around and just sort of, um, you know, being active was something that just came with whatever the day happened to present to us. We have plenty of activity because that's how we evolved to be. So it's part of the fine-tuning of our physiological systems. Going into the gym and doing that, there's, there's reasons that we, we turn up endorphins. It feels really good. There's sociological reasons. You like to look muscular and lean. So there's various reasons why we would go and exercise formally. But it's almost like, to some degree, an aberration of modern living that we do that. And it's a bizarre thing to pick up weights and lower them. Pick them up, lower it, pick it up. Where are you going? Are you, are you, do you want to hold it or you want to put it down? Make up your mind. <laughs> why do you keep doing that? It's to produce a muscular callus. So that's an unnatural act. And in order to sort of support that, it would make sense that there might be something that's not specifically derived from nature because that's an unnatural thing. So we're going to have to use unnatural forms of nutrition, so to speak, to some degree, to drive that un- to hack into the biology and drive that that hypertrophy. So bodybuilders who are eating, <laughs> eating is so important for gaining maximum muscle mass, but it is not. 
competitive bodybuilding is not healthy in that regard, really. You're, you're forcing yourself to eat. You're always full. You have to take digestive enzymes, digestive age. You're, you're, you're trying to cultivate something that your body is capable of doing, but it's a very extreme process to bring that about. Right. So yeah. Absolutely. if you're someone who just wants to go, go and exercise for health and, and hike and have fun, that's beautiful. Regular food is perfect. You don't really need much more than that. Right. Now, if you're trying to be an extreme athlete, you know, a triathlete, for instance, yeah, we know, you know, th- that's another extreme there where, where all sorts of dietary manipulations have been tested and taking in carbohydrate and Gatorade and those sorts of things car- during the, the actually using multiple forms of carbohydrate to maximize carb oxidation during exercise. Those are like that's a very specific sort of scientifically engineered nutritional approach for an extreme kind of aberrant form of activity. Bodybuilding is kind of the same thing. So, um, you know, people will have to eat beyond what they normally would. They may have to eat at times you don't want to. I never really want to eat after I train. Not really hungry. Yeah. Even yeah. if even if I've not taken in much of an inch workout, just just am not. And I would normally be a lot lighter if I hadn't forced myself to eat as much as I have over the years. Right. Well, and it's not been pretty all the time. So <laughs> so there's this kind of spectrum as to how far you want to sort of push and hack into what your biology is capable of. So and that's yeah. where the so go ahead, Eric. No, oh no no, I was just gonna I had another topic that popped in my head based on what you something you said earlier, but go ahead and finish your what you're gonna say there. Well I was gonna get to the the post workout deal. Yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, so I'm actually, here's the kind of the big big scheme here is imagine, I always use this example, it's just kind of an easy one, typical chest, shoulder, arm workout where maybe someone does some abs. Mm-hmm. And you think to yourself, well, you know, you probably want to eat to support what you just did. We know that protein is important for muscle protein synthesis. So you go through a workout like that and and you train chest for the first half an hour and then delts for the next 20 minutes and triceps for the next 10, 15 minutes or maybe longer if you like to train arms and then abs. So you might finish training chest at, say, 1230 if you started at noon and you don't take in any food until after you've trained your abs and now it's 130 and there's a little bit of digestive lag time there. Well, you, you've now waited over an hour since you trained chest. Right. So the solution to that is to take in your workout drink during your workout. Well, that's like at a very basic level, you're talking about asking the body to perform a parasympathetically driven activity, digest, rest, repose, like taking while you're working nutrients while you're like you're, you're driving sympathetically as hard as you can, pushing yourself in the gym. So that's why people why we're using hydrolyzed proteins and, um, high molecular weight carbohydrate like Vitargo and those sorts of things to aid in digestion. You can put digestive enzymes in with your proteins as well, those sorts of things. So that's where like the scientifically engineered um, uh, workout supplements would play a role because you're basically trying to get your body to do something it normally wouldn't do. Right, right. For the most part. So um, there is, it's interesting, there's the literature, there's there aren't a lot of really well-done studies um, on pre- and post-workout nutrition or peri-workout recovery supplementation. There's a lot of studies that have looked at just protein timing. And the most, there's a, the Schoenfeld, Brad Schoenfeld, and, and my good buddy Alan Aragon um, yeah. had a review. It's, I think it's from 2015 now. And they looked at, in a meta-analysis, they looked at 23 studies. And of those 23, only four were with trained individuals. Wow. Yeah. So... Yeah, so it's, there's not a lot out there. One of the things, so here's where I'm going to combine, like, in the trenches stuff. And I've, ha- I've had lots of clients that weren't doing inter-workouts or peri-workout recovery supplements, and they started doing them, and they immediately noticed a recovery phenomenon. And when they, if they happen to travel or go somewhere and they don't bring something with them and try to train, then they, then they literally they'll notice there's actually an ergogenic effect of carbohydrate that could be had during resistance exercise hmm. and you know exactly why that's happening a guy named greg half has done that um there's a study here at university of tampa we're going to do that i'm just i have a small part in um looking at mouth rinsing there's an there's an effect in of just rinsing with carbohydrate I during endurance exercise yeah, yeah. during um, that exercise 
exercise? Like during the, endurance exercise, you, you just you don't, have, you don't have to take in the carbs. You just rinse with it. Yeah. So I mean, wow. and it, yeah, exactly, pretty cool. So so maybe like you, you got the hunter gatherers who are walking along. Maybe this is you know your one of your ancestors. 20,000 years ago, and they're like, look at those berries. God, those berries are really good. And they're eating berries <laughs> as they walk along. Right. And it drives them to eat more berries. So that if the taste of the berries, it would be a weird thing to eat the berry and spit it out unless it didn't taste good. Right, so right. You would swallow it, but it would make sense that the body's picking up on all the stimuli of the berry. The taste being the first thing that you get. Right. To tell you whether it's good for you or not. So there's something about the mouth rinsing. So there's actually potentially an ergogenic effect simply of the carbohydrate. Not to mention, you know, fluids kind of being important during during exercise, especially in the heat, um, where you'd want to take those in because of timing. And then we've got all the issues that are ha- things that are happening with protein, carbohydrate, replenishing glycogen. If someone is low on, on glycogen, protein plus carbs, each of those can stimulate insulin release. Yep. And some many studies show a synergistic relationship. So you add the two together, you get a higher insulin release that has an anti um, proteolytic uh, it counters muscle protein breakdowns so those the the protein and the insulin are going to favor positive protein balance Mm -hmm. and if you most people aren't training every day but you're getting you're getting a pretty good uh, head start on the muscle protein synthesis there's some research and this really has been well substantiated that one of there was a study that um John Ivey was involved with many years ago where they, where they found, I think this, this one was rats, they found with a restricted carbohydrate after an exercise session that it dramatically slowed. You missed the window for glycogen resynthesis. Hmm. I don't know if that necessarily happens, but anyone who's trained really hard and then not eaten when they really wanted to for those two hours afterwards, you don't feel very good Mm-mm. for sure. And yeah, and it will, and and if you're trying to like inch forward in terms of muscle growth over the course of many years, where literally, if you can, I think the number is if you can have a positive protein balance on a daily basis, that meaning you, you deposit in muscle mass, eight grams of protein, 32 calories worth of protein, more than you break down day after day. Throughout the course of a year, you'll gain like 20 or 25 pounds of muscle in that year, which is just mind-boggling. That's amazing. So it's, yeah. it's a game of, of inches. It's a game of grams. It's a game of very, very minor differences in protein synthesis and breakdown that accumulates over time that makes makes the difference. So Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Because like, that goes into this whole like fasting world, man, that's just like mm-hmm. – you know, because I, I am a, like told you, I'm a true believer that within an hour after you work out, try to take a little something in just to help you. Because if I have a hard lift, I mean, I feel like shit if I don't eat. I mean, I'm right. tired, pissed yeah. off, lethargic, <laughs> road rage. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what it feels like. Like, you're yeah. athletes that you work with, like, what what is your what is your go-to, like, if you had someone who's wanting to build muscle and they're in there, you know, and they just worked out an hour and a half and killed it. Are you carbon and protein in them up, or are you just protein? What what is your what's your fave? I um I use it I use pretty unless someone comes to me and they know this just doesn't work for them. I use a nutrient timing approach for mm-hmm. most of my clients, and literally the last thing, hopefully that never would have to be dropped out of a diet if someone's dieting down is their peri workout recovery supplementation, and then the next meal thereafter. Mm-hmm. So that I keep that intact at all times, and I build upon that as much as possible. Too. That's when you've got the greatest rates of muscle protein turnover. Right. Um, that's when you've got the greatest muscle sensitivity to insulin and greatest rates of glycogen restoration. Um, it just sort of makes sense to couple all the supporting nutrition with the 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 insult of the training. Right. So I mean, the closer the better, and that's that's just something I started playing with and started dealing with many years ago and I you know I, I thought like I don't feel like eating all that much now um, after an hour or so you're definitely going to want to right right but you know I, I, I then I thought to myself you know this whole thing's a little bit odd just mm-hmm. listening to your body in the case of trying to like put on muscle mass as a bodybuilder would um, isn't probably going to cut it because if I listen to my body I would never overeat I probably there are probably many days I wouldn't train I would never <laughs> diet down like there's so many things that I would not do 
So I have to put that sort of um, that intuition, that the body wisdom to the side and say, okay, this is what I think is happening physiologically. But yeah, carbs and protein. Um, as far as like the concoction, anything that, um, like it, it's not a bad idea to have, for instance, uh, creatine in there. Okay. Creat yeah, creatine tends to increase glycogen synthesis and glycogen carbs tend to increase creatine um, loading as well. So that's not a bad time to have that, as long as it doesn't cause GI distress. Right. If you've got anything that you know is an ergogenic aid that you could put in that doesn't, that actually acts that way, doesn't cause any GI distress, you can do that. But otherwise, like, like if you're going to take a multi-vitamin, multi, um, probably no need to take that. Mm. Yeah. No need yeah. to take, like, grams of vitamin C. Sometimes they put that in there. Yeah, right. Yeah, just, right. They just throw it in. And I think the idea is people would say, oh, well, now I don't have to take my vitamin C because I'm taking, you know, product X. Right. And they don't know that, you know, you're, you potentially are, are undoing some of the muscle growth with the megadose of antioxidants. I want to ask you about, like, um, while we're talking about, like, fat loss and muscle gain, I want to ask you differences, especially targeted to, for, especially for women, for example, any differences in training methodologies between your men and your women if you're looking to put on, you know, build a little bit of muscle, but certainly shed some fat. And then, uh, then I want to ask you about sarcoplasmic versus myofibrillar hypertrophy and things like that. So I'm just thinking out loud. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. So really all of this starts with the person's perspective. And women you know, are, are different than men in many, right. many, many regards. Mm -hmm. So most women yep. are going to want to, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm running against the, the, the current <laughs> political uh, culture here, but I'm a smart um, athlete. Yeah, you know. they are. Yeah, I know. I know. So <laughs> it really depends depends on the person. Most most women are going to want to um, drop body fat. That's going to be their first first and foremost goal. I mean, so that's just where we're going to come from. Um, there is still kind of a fear in many women's minds that they're going to put on muscle mass at some, you know, rapid, miraculous rate, which does, right. there are women who can do that. There are women who are just naturally muscular, but, okay. but they're at one end, you know, of the, of the bell curve. So it really, I think with women, it comes down first and foremost, like just paying attention. They've got, society has so many different ideal. We have ideals that we impose upon women in a way that we don't on men. Although yeah. those kind of changing now as well, but, so I think addressing that and addressing adherence and mental mindset and psychology in women is first and foremost the main, really the main thing. Um, and then they tend to like like to have partners or training groups more so yep. than guys necessarily to some degree. So yeah. um, really taking the woman's preferences and desires and what she likes to do, what will bring her back. Um, there was a guy that I've mentioned many times. His name was Rod. His name is Rod Dishman. He was the world's foremost expert on exercise adherence. He was at a, he's, I think he's still at the University of Georgia, and he did that for like 20 years, trying to kind of unravel the psychological, behavioral underpinnings of why people exercise. So, you know, peer support, social support. Can we use contracts, um, rewards, negative, positive reinforcement? You know. Um, right. right. You know, behavioral uh, stages of change model, all those various things. And he, he kind of came to the – I went to Georgia and I took his exercise psych class hoping that, you know, I was going to get, like, the keys to the internal psychological universe to right. get everyone to exercise. He, right. he kind of gave up on it. He basically said, we're, we're creatures of immediate gratification. That's true. Yeah. And it's it, it's very it is really, really true. So something about the workout, something about going to the gym, the experience – has to evoke some sort of immediate gratification. Mm -hmm. Like I'm doing the right thing or I'm looking better or maybe, you know, if I do this for a week, I'm going to let myself go to the mall and buy a new dress or, you know, I like to go because the guys look at me and it makes me feel sexy. Right. W whatever it may be, all that needs. But some women are just animals. You don't yeah. have to do any of those things with them. Sure. Oh, so, sure. yeah. so really, I mean, there are physiological differences. Women, women can handle a lot more pain than men, it seems like. Okay. Yeah. The pain yeah. research suggests that they tend to oxidize fat. fat better. Yeah. Um, yeah. They don't. They don't end up running out of glycogen nearly as often. Um, diet. It can vary just as much with guys. A lot of the diet really is whatever. As long as you create the caloric deficit and your protein levels are high enough, um, you know, a gram per pound is a good place to start. It's whatever diet you can best adhere to. If, right. it, if it's intermittent fasting and you like that. 
and that's your group, like you like the intermittent fasting people or you want to do carnivore. I mean, there are some diets that are just a little bit out there, but um, but you basically need a deficit and you need adherence and a protein would be the only main thing that I want to um, keep people focused on. Yeah, and of course, healthy, you know, fruits and vegetables is right. great, <laughs> ideally. Adherence so. and consistency for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, remember, I remember reading a study, and I think it might have been on uh, Alan's uh, site. I get I get his articles and uh, something about, you know, they compared a couple different groups, you know, trying to lose weight and do this and thing. The, the group that did the best were ones that actually had goals as opposed to I want to lose fat. Well, I want to bump up my PR to this, or I want to lift this weight, or I want to improve my sprint by this, or whatever. More physical attainment goals. They did better and actually ended up having better body composition because they weren't focused on it. They had another another goal. So kind of what you're mentioning. I do. I have in my. Um, I have a my latest book, Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach, is kind of mm-hmm. like a brain dump. It's got everything in there, and right. I, ha- I call it a personal bodybuilding inventory. But it's it's basically a modified version of my intake form that I've been using with clients for years. It's sort of molded. First and foremost, goals, mm-hmm. and they need to be quantifiable. Like I want to look great on the beach. Like okay, well your husband loves you. Tell him, ask him, do you look great? Okay, goal one achieved. Like why, why are you going to pay me? You already right. done that. But right. that that's not a goal necessarily. Right. That's not one that you can achieve. It's not one you can know whether you have made it to or not. You can't check that box. So something literally that's as quantifiable as possible um, is very is super important. Yeah, um, smart goals. So you, smart goals. Yeah. 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 So. Um, other than that, I mean, women like to train lower body more so than men. That's just kind of the gynoid um, thing. I mean, it, there's the the new like a lot of Brazilian women. You'll see their culture is very much glute and leg based, mm-hmm. and like the new you know the, you know the new wellness division that I think the uh, IFBB chest sort of introduced. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like all lower body. So yeah, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's every woman's comment is I don't want to put muscle on. I don't want to build muscle. It's like. You're not going to do that right away, so trust me, you know. Yeah, you're, you're not, but, but, but it's, I think, uh, it's even though that's not the case, if you were just, like, said, well, no, I'm going to make you train, we're going to do bench press and overhead press, you know, and we're going to do all these guy exercises, that isn't, that isn't rewarding instantaneously. It's not, there's yeah. no gratification for that. Right. You it can get a woman, <laughs> yeah, like, so she, put her on, you know, all the glute exercises you can come yeah. up with, and it may be too much, I mean, you, do you really need to do 35 sets of glutes three times a week? Yeah, no, but they'll, probably not. they'll yeah. say if their arms are sore, they don't say anything. If they come in like, oh, my ass is, it just hurts. It's like I must have really worked it good. It's like awesome. Okay. Boom. Yeah. And that's a continuous gratification. Like they sit down. Yes, I feel my glutes. I know I worked them. I know I'm doing something. That's great. Yeah. That's it right there. Absolutely. It's super important. It is. I mean, there, there, are, there are trainers – literally who that's that's their bread and butter is making their clients sore Mm -hmm. so that they know they did something like literally there's some kind of guilt relief psychological phenomenon going on there well i get it all the time i don't feel real sore today you know well okay sometimes right yeah yeah so and if you and you can like that's that's an immediate like (laughs) you can make that a goal i guess if you wanted to my goal is to be sore in my glutes and legs every day um you know, it, but if you, you guys do the roll, I know you have a flight, Eric. I, no, I'm I'm good. I got a little bit more time. I think he's just going okay. to bed. <laughs> so no, those are those are that, those are great great answers, and it's, it's something I think we all experience. Um, I'm gonna I'm sure I'll, I'll I'll read about it in your book. That's on my list this week to get your book because I want to check it out. But uh, oh, cool. what's your, I want to talk to you about uh, get your take on. I don't know if you incorporate this. Uh, I know I think you do, but in terms of like the different variations of weighted stretching and uh, things of this nature, I know I know Dante did a lot of that in his stuff, and I think you did it as well. It's something I I read about a long time ago. I forgot about. It. I just recently started doing it again. What's do you have a, uh, some some thoughts on that or ideas on how you incorporate it? Yeah. So so Dante credits John Prillo, yeah. um, who does in, interset stretching. Right. So between sets, and there's actually actually so there's some literature from um, some a little bit of data from University of Tampa showing that can enhance muscle growth. Um, and of course Dante always would point to like the the weighted stretch studies with the quail birds, yeah, uh, yeah, the progressive the overload overloaded wings um, stretch overload model. I what I've done and I, I mean I credit Dante because I did DC training for basically 
well, close to 10 years. I did it like formally for maybe seven or eight. And then I was, right. you know, part of what Dante, anything that, D, that Dante does is dog crap training because he could yep. say whatever it is. It's de facto that makes a DC training. Right. So I right. had to start winging things and figuring things out. And I was his official dog crap trainer coach for a few years. So, and so I would know some of the things he did that you don't find very easily, if at all, online. Right. And so I, that was part of what sort of brought me into fortitude training and helped me develop it. And then there's also a, a system called Titan Training that Leo Costa come up with. A big beyond belief okay. was his his main sort of his big big system people know of. And I tried that program as best I could interpret it, and I just figured, well, if I don't know what he means, I'll just choose the the most difficult, asinine, ridiculous, ludicrous <laughs> interpretation and right. just destroy myself. And I did. I overtrained myself. Did I, I literally had to take for the first time in over two decades at that point in time, three decades time off because I overtrained. You overdid it. Was it crazy, yeah. yeah. So, then, <laughs> what's that? That's fun to go in there and just completely destroy. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just, like, ridiculous. It was just... <laughs> And I've learned how to train. I've done, like, you know the program Cybergenics? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. I did that, like, three times when I was a kid. And that was, you know, when I was in my late teens. And, and wow. that's asinine. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. And I, I can train harder now than then. So I was training, like, that kind of thing. Um, kind of, I basically made a lot of what his muscle rounds were into drop sets. And it was just, just off, the, off the charts. Ridiculous. Looks like you followed but I, but I, fitness Joe Weider workouts. Remember in the old uh, school yeah. days, like yeah. you pick your arms up the next day. Oh, the cybergenics was just uh, incredible. <laughs> yeah. But as far as the stretching goes, so I noticed from the stretching um, in doing DC training, especially like one of the things that was, and I was training with Dave Henry when we were doing this, a lot of it was um, quad separation. Mm-hmm. And it's not that there's some, like, magical thing that was probably happening to, you know, change the epimecium of the muscle to reshape it in any way, shape, or form. Aside from getting more muscle growth, the bigger the muscles are, the more separate they're going to appear. But okay. I think, for instance, in that case, one of the things is that when you do a quad stretch, the way I typically do them, you tra train quads. And I put one leg back behind me, put it on a pad of some sort, and then do a, a stretch where the knee is flexed, and then I would extend at the hip. Yeah. which just burns in the rectus yeah. femoris like none other. And, yeah. and, and the psoas, but the rectus femoris would just, it was just a killer. Oh, yeah. And, sure. and that developed my rectus femoris more substantially than it had before because I could feel that. And it, that's not the thing most people focus on when you're doing the squat or a leg press. You're not thinking rectus femoris. You're no. just trying to push and get the whole quad. Right. Well, rectus femoris is right in between the vastus lateralis and medialis. So... Yeah. If you develop that and you've got a big hump in the middle of those other two mountains, so to speak, that's separation. Yeah. You see the separation of the valleys between the mountains of those three muscles, sort of uh, metaphorically speaking. So there's also some literature showing that literally isometric contractions can produce muscle growth. <clears throat> and we also know that the blood flow restriction seems to, seems to make a difference, too. Um, and it seems like from that literature that it's important also, it's not just the metabolites, but there has to be metabolic stress, so to speak, while the muscle is contracting. Mm -hmm. So those are the kind of the important pieces. Then there's also the, the, the load that's involved. So an extreme stretch with DC, with Dante, is like literally a progressively overloaded stretch. So if, let's say you're doing like a, a pec stretch with dumbbell, in a dumbbell fly movement, you might first time use 50 pound dumbbells and then you try to hold that for 60 to 90 seconds when you get to 90 seconds you go to 55s and you hold that until you can get to 90 and then you go to 60s and you know, eventually you have to top out and you and you start yeah. to end up getting to where you're in the danger zone yeah, your joints you know aren't too happy with you yeah. um so you have to be careful with that and so looking at that I, that, that's a, that's extremely um th that's an extremely stressful stimulus in, in terms of both the metabolic stress right. and the um, the loading, and sometimes it's a little bit wonky too. Like getting in position with those heavy loads don't always stretch you where you want to want to. So, right. one of the things that I've incorporated in fortitude training is the idea of auto regulating as much as possible. So that's basically employing a little bit of common sense. Right. If you've just right. gone and trained chest, and you just annihilated yourself, and you're sore, like almost you're like. 
you can feel the soreness without even doing anything. It just feels sore. And on in your logbook, it tells you you're going to have to try to use 110-pound dumbbells for a pec stretch. It's just, and you're just like, this is just an accident looking for a place to happen. You don't want to do that. Yes. You've already, like, as Lee Heaney would say, stimulate, don't annihilate. You've already done right. justice to the workout. So I've incorporated basically three stretch types in fortitude training. So one is the D, basically the DC extreme stretch. Right. Same kind of idea. The other one is an occlusion stretch is what I call it. And I, I do these most of the time, and it's, I think it's a, it can be safer. Not, not that the DC stretches are unsafe, but you can, you can get a little bit out of hand, and people have done kind of bizarre stuff. <laughs> Got, like try to blame it on Dante because they were just being idiots. Like no, no, no. Common yeah, sense yeah. plays a role here. So head. instead of doing like a dumbbell stretch, you you would maybe do you could do like a doorway stretch or get in a right. pec deck or a, 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 a squat rack. Right. And do that. And you stretch, and then you contract simultaneously. Yep. And let's say on that particular day, and you trained, you feel more lower and middle pec, not so much the clavicular pec. You might angle yourself and perform that stretch so that you target and you activate the clavicular part of the pectoralis and distribute the stress from that given workout across that muscle Yeah, yeah. in that way. That's or you might just stay away from the lower pec because it feels really tight and sore and you don't need anything else there. So right. you can direct the stretch and the extent to which you contract, your effort level is up to you. So if yeah. you feel like, you know what, you know, I, I just... I, I did okay today. I didn't break any logbook PRs. I mean, I kind of tied my previous stuff. And I'm going to just get after it with the stretch. Yeah. You just, yeah. like, destroy yourself with the stretch. Just go for it. You can do that. Or if it's another day, it's like, you know what? I think I'm going to just get 60 seconds. I'm going to go deep in the stretch. I'm going to contract um, and try to, like, kind of finish out and round out the stimulus for that muscle on that particular day. And the other one is just a flexibility stretch. I think there's something to say just – just from having put muscles in an elongated position, um, some of the there's there's literature, for instance, with there's one particular study that I recall with with mice where they casted the leg of, the, of a mouse and they would take it out of the cast once a day for like 30 minutes and just do passive range of motion, and right. that 30 minutes out of it was like basically one fiftieth of the day, like four percent of the day, essentially was enough to prevent sarcomere shortening and changes in connected tissue. So just being elongated to some degree makes sense. Mm -hmm. So stretching, if you like, if you're someone who like has sort of a slump posture mm -hmm. because of how you do a lot of done a lot of chest training or you're sitting at a desk or what have you, it just makes sense to stretch a little bit and maybe try to loosen up those um, stretch receptors a tad. Right, stretching right. connective tissue so some days it's like it just feels nice to do a i call it a flexibility stretch and that's just like right. 20 30 seconds so right. that's how i incorporate them so anything from i'm going to go for it i really i really want to dominate i want to make this stretch just massively stimulating to something in between i want to be more directed and auto-regulate to i think i did enough today i'm just going to do a light little bit of light stretching to finish out this muscle group awesome awesome yeah Man, I could. Uh, yeah, we could go we, all day. We could go all day. I'm hoping. Uh, hope you. Uh, I know your schedule's probably crazy like mine, but uh, I'd love to have you back on an, another round. Break this into two parts if you're cool with that. Absolutely, absolutely. Have to, yeah. Have to run here in a few minutes, but uh, that's been a lot of fun. So before we go, just tell tell my listeners, uh, obviously about the book, where we find you, where we could uh, read about you, your your uh, social media, any plugs you want to give, so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, you can just Google Fortitude Training. Um, the book is Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. It's on Amazon. Yes. Yep. BYOBBcoach.com comes up pretty well. It's pretty well search engine optimized, as far as I can tell. Yeah, not, not bring your own beer. <laughs> right? No, I know it's close to that. Right? You could do that too, right? Yeah, you could. You could. Well, beer is a great recovery yeah. drink after you work out. I'll go yeah, into right. that. <laughs> I have a little section on alcohol in there. Like, yeah. one beer is okay, but too much, no. It's a question, right? It is. Like, well, you Absolutely. saw like, somebody put a video out the other day talking about their recovery drink. You know, and, and they put a shot of snops in it because it, you know, forces more nutrients into the muscle. And, you know, they got a point in a way, but it's like, what the hell? It's like, you know, they're just trying to find their niche. Right, right. You know, I mean, I don't know about the puts more nutrients in the muscle part with the schnapps. Um, that's, that's a good I haven't seen that. But, but yeah, they if, if, way. if you're someone who's a little stressed out and it's like, you know, you don't really do anything for yourself and you kind of have to force yourself through the workout all day long, you're just giving to other people and you come home and you're like, I just got to fucking live a little. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have some schnapps. 
and it lets you calm down and relax and sleep better than you would mm-hmm. otherwise. Drop that cortisol. Your party, yeah. Yes, your off switch. Yeah. Then absolutely. you know a shot of schnapps isn't gonna isn't gonna destroy you. I don't think. Yeah, I had a sip of bourbon last night. I feel good. So. Oh, yeah, I like it. yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you got to be human. Right. It's all good. Well, man, I re- we really appreciate having you on. I love talking with you. Uh, if you're ever in Columbus, definitely look me up. I'd love to, to get together with you. Um, I don't know. Absolutely. Buy some lunch, and we'll go out and have some bourbon. <laughs> right. I, don't, I, I haven't been drunk for a while. I, I did my share of, I did my lifetime share of drinking in college and a couple oh. years thereafter. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get you on that. We'll have you one more. One drink. Just one. No, it's never, it hasn't happened for a long time. I, I do yeah. like a good German beer. I've lived in Germany a couple of Oh, yeah. Times. There you yeah. go. There you go. Usually Excellent. I get about like four sips into it. Tastes really good. I'm like, okay, I don't want, I don't want this anymore. But, <laughs> but I'll be up there eventually. I think I like, I need to go see John again. We need to do some training, so I'll, I'll give yeah. you guys a holler. Or yeah, yeah, I'd love to get together with you guys. We'll shoot some videos, have some fun, you know. So Right on. Well, if you're cool, I'd love to have you back on another one. Whenever you have time, I'll shoot you an email if that's cool. Yep, we'll do it, my man. Absolutely. All righty. All righty. See you guys. Thanks. Enjoy your flight. Have a Adios. good week. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. That was good. Okay, well.